Welcome to S2 Underground, a freelance intelligence agency fighting terrorism, fake news, and political tyranny around the world. I'm the trouble star, punkin' instigator. Hello everyone, and welcome back to the Underground. Uh, so today, first things first, I uh, just wanted to let you all know uh, that we are recording from the field today. So. Uh, myself and my uh, sound guy here, uh, staring at me as always. Uh, we are cramped together in a very hot Connex box today. So if you hear a fan in the background, that's because we are literally dying and this is the only way we can get re some relief. So sorry for uh, the sound interference throughout this episode. But today we're going to provide an update on communications. Uh, we did not want to wait any longer, um, so we're having to... Uh, record this in less than ideal conditions, but we, like I said, we didn't want to wait any longer because of the situation that's going on kind of online and, you know, people being taken offline for things they, you know, that are kind of arbitrary. So, uh, right off the bat, we want to warn you that this isn't necessarily the most interesting episode that we've written. Uh, most of what we're going to talk about today is exceptionally dry, uh, and we're going to go about down a lot of rabbit holes and what-ifs, uh, which we really try not to do because it tends to make the episode longer and it's really not that productive anyway. Um, but today it's kind of necessary. So also we're going to cover a lot of things that many people will think, you know, really, are you serious? Uh, this is, you know, insanely paranoid and really unnecessary. Um, to sort of address that, um, I often think of the very short scene from the old TV show The West Wing. Uh, if any of you remember it. Uh, so we'll take a second to play that scene for you now. $500 screwdrivers is why you didn't vote for the president? I work for the president. That's a lot. It's wasteful spending. No, it's not. A $400 ashtray? <sighs> what was that? A $400 ashtray. It's off the USS Greenville, a nuclear tech submarine and a likely target for a torpedo. When you get hit with one, you've got enough problems without glass flying into the eyes of the navigator and the officer of the deck. This one's built to break into three dull pieces. We lead a slightly different life out there and it costs a little more money. Uh, now before all you squids come at us with the fact that the Navy doesn't actually have $400 ashtrays and the ashtrays on submarines are actually the ones you buy off the shelf, uh, we know. Uh, we think that this scene simply illustrates that some things may seem absurd or costly or paranoid or even irresponsible on the surface, uh, but in reality there is a deeper, sometimes unknown purpose that has to be accounted for. This mindset is the lens with which we will view the topic of communications. So thankfully, quite a few personalities within the prepping slash emergency preparedness slash gun community have been talking a lot lately about communications methods. Uh, this is absolutely outstanding, and we're hopeful that the subject of communications will be treated like medical supplies or plate carriers were 15 years ago. Uh, 15 years ago, neither was sexy to have, and those that did were thought to be kind of strange or weird. Uh, but now, everybody at a range has an IFAC of some sort, and plate carriers and other tactical gear is very common to see at any range. So. This recent popularity in communications plans is in no small part due to a sort of problem that's become more apparent and starting to impact daily life for many people around the world. Um, not only are governments shutting down communications, but private companies and enterprises are also not just banning content they disagree with, 
but they are also trying to completely erase from history any adversarial opinion. As we've been saying for several months now, uh, we are at the height of an information war. Um, information is the battleground on which we're fighting, and information is also the weapon we're using. Uh, so many people are starting to realize uh, that communications are being impacted, uh, warped, changed, and even falsified all around the world by many different actors. Uh, communications, which are essential for daily life. Now, we don't claim to be great fortune tellers, and we certainly don't like to pat ourselves on the back here, but many of our followers and listeners will confirm that we saw the writing on the wall months ago, uh, going back to the spring of 2019. Uh, we knew that based on the work that we do, we would make a lot of enemies. Uh, enemies that have the power to take us offline and shut us down. Enemies which also have the power to harm us if they so choose. Uh, as such, we have been working for a few weeks now on a plan. A communications plan, a, a system that will survive any event. So before we go over our communications plan, we've got to talk about the rigorous criteria that must be adhered to. So this is the boring part, so here we go. Uh, number one, the communication system that we build must be a system or process rather than simply one piece of technology. Uh, in order to be as versatile as possible, we can't simply have a list of radio frequencies or an email distro list. Uh, our comms has to be able to advance with technological advances, or the lack of technology, and flex to fit all societies and cultures around the world. Uh, this, of course, is hard to define outright, so hopefully the rest of the criteria will help illustrate what we're going for here with this concept. Uh, number two, the system must be compartmentalized. Every person on Earth should have access to the communications platforms within the system, but, if one method or platform becomes compromised, with zero warning, users wishing to communicate must also be able to switch seamlessly to another secure communications platform. Uh, number three, the system must be simple to understand and operate with little to no prior instruction. This is why we can't just have a list of radio frequencies. Uh, yes, you'll see in a minute that we do rely a lot on radio communications, but we must remember that the ham radio community is not a quote-unquote beginner hobby. Uh, yes, the ham community is awesome, and many, many super cool things can be done. Uh, I know a lot of guys that have bounced signals off the freaking moon to talk to people around the globe. Uh, but try doing this with little power, in hostile territory while getting shot at, in the rain, in the dark, in a clear, replicatable, and reliable fashion. 99% uh, of ham radio does not adhere to these qualities. So if we're going to rely on radio technology as a communications platform, it has to be so simple a monkey could do it. Uh, number four, our system has to have very little to no existing infrastructure. And this is the one clincher for a few technologies. So the U.S. military, particularly special forces, uh, have been using a system called ATACS, or the Android Tactical Assault Kit, for a long time now. Uh, basically, this is a smartphone app that, when the radio is plugged in, or when the phone is plugged into a military radio, uh, has a lot of features. Uh, it can display the GPS position of your team on a map uh, in real time. It can also be used to calculate artillery strikes, uh, CAS runs, medevacs, weather, uh, line of sight analysis on a 3D terrain map, 
and literally thousands of other things. Uh, even local police departments and fire departments use it to coordinate everything from active shooter scenarios to disaster response, like during a hurricane or something. But there's one catch to this system that's kind of the deal breaker. Uh, it requires a very large infrastructure to actually work. See, the military has cool things like helicopters and MRAPs that ATAC can plug into and work with, along with encrypted radios that can create an effective mesh network. Uh, we, civilians, don't have this infrastructure. Sure, there is a civilian legal program or app called the Android Team Awareness Kit, but honestly, it's garbage. Uh, it can't be connected to a radio, it can't talk to other users, and it can't really do the things that make the system so great for the military. Oh, and it's almost impossible to find a download link for it, and good luck updating it if you somehow manage to find the file. Uh, the U.S. government routinely pressures the developer and the company that makes it to take their own web page completely offline so that civilians can't access it. That's how powerful a tool it is to the military. So, yeah, it's a great tool when you've got other tools to use with it, but honestly, the cons far outweigh the system, at least for right now. Uh, honestly, we think that the civilian version of the Gotenna app, uh, not the military Gotenna Pro device, the Gotenna app that goes with the civilian Gotenna device, uh, this app, while highly limited, is actually far, quote-unquote, better than ATAC simply because it has a decent infrastructure to support it. So the Gotenna, as you'll see, is part of our system, but the fact that you need an expensive device that is marginally effective at best means that the Gotenna isn't a complete communication system for us. It's just part of the puzzle. Uh, this brings us to number five. Uh, the system must be cheap, durable, and reliable in all weather conditions. Uh, if we're going to rely on technology to communicate, uh, it has to be durable. It's got to be waterproof, or at least easily waterproofed. Um, it has to be easily repaired with improvised parts, and if one part is completely broken, the rest of the technology should be able to still be used. Uh, in other words, if a knob falls off your radio, or a screen gets cracked, it still has to work. Sort of along those lines, we have number six. Uh, the system has to be easily obtainable at all times. Uh, in other words, government crackdowns, social movements, panic buying, and remotely located positions should have minimal effect on people using or obtaining our communication system. As we know, uh, panic buying is very unpredictable, so we need a system that will be available during hardship times. If a system requires some sort of device like a radio, that radio has to be widely available in brick and mortar stores online, gas stations, and remote villages in the Arctic. Uh, likewise, since we're talking about radios, the batteries and parts have to be freely available. An internal battery is all well and good until you can't recharge it because you can't go outside to emplace a solar panel or are hiding during the day so you can't display an expensive solar panel for fear of drawing undue attention. Uh, this is sort of like having a flashlight that uses a unique battery uh, sure, nowadays the Gucci thing to do is to have a tactical flashlight that has like an 18650 battery or a CR123 or even be like USB rechargeable. But honestly, in most parts of the US and the vast majority of the world, uh, AA's are the thing to use. That's why all of our night vision devices here are powered by AA's. 
Uh, you can buy them everywhere from a truck stop in Texarkana to a hotel gift shop in Amsterdam. Uh, for communications, we're willing to sacrifice a small amount of performance for universality. Now, so far we've talked about some pretty extreme circumstances, and I want to sort of shift the topic back to a more everyday mood with number seven, uh, which is that the communication system must also be able to integrate with everyday communications. Uh, as we all know, even during the Minneapolis riots, which was a complete and total without rule of law survival situation, if one were to have driven about 20 minutes in any direction from the riots, they would have again found themselves in the first world, with no semblance to the chaos just down the road. Uh, in today's world, we don't necessarily need a system for communicating in a World War Z type fantasy scenario, but also in a more likely scenario where pockets of communications may go out, but the quote-unquote grid, as it were, doesn't totally, know, doesn't totally go down. Uh, so our system needs to flex to cover all of this. During 9-11, uh, cell phone networks were instantly overloaded and remained overloaded for several days afterwards. Uh, also, the impact of the planes and the subsequent collapse of the towers severed thousands of Verizon phone line cables in the area, which led to outages in the area for weeks. Uh, only two TV stations in New York stayed on the air during the attacks because many TV transmitter antennas were located on top of the towers. Uh, actually, if you want to learn more, there's an entire Wikipedia page dedicated to the communications during the September 11 attacks, uh, which we highly recommend everyone take a look at. It's very fascinating to read about that sort of thing. Uh, but even when it came to radio communications, the situation was an absolute catastrophe. Uh, of course, a lot of police, fire, medical, and other communications personnel did the best they could, and actually did far better than could have been expected of them under the circumstances. Uh, however, this was still not nearly good enough, at least for us. Uh, we need a communication system that can easily interface with modern technologies, uh, i.e. not requiring you to break out a ham radio at the grocery store to call home if, to see if you need eggs or something, uh, but we also need a system that will allow the convenience of a text or phone call, but have the reliability of something like a SATCOM radio. Along these same lines, we come to number eight. The system needs to be instantly activated and autonomous. Uh, when we say our system, really this is everyone's system, uh, meaning that in the event that S2 Underground staff become incapacitated, arrested, or otherwise unable to manage the system, the system itself will take over and sort of fly on autopilot. Uh, so we wanted the process to be inherently self-sufficient and self-sustaining with little or no human interaction at all. This is also why a traditional pace plan isn't perfect. Um, we may not have time to tell everyone to switch from the P to the A or even the C and E. Uh, remember, the pace plan, while a fantastic base, is not suited to an entity such as ourselves, which has virtually no infrastructure or trained personnel on the ground. We also wanted to incorporate a quote-unquote dead man switch function so that information can be sent automatically upon our incapacitation or demise. In other words, if we don't go into the system and hit a button or type in a keyword or do something, uh, the system will automatically broadcast, send, mail, or post a trove of information that serves as 
our, how you say, insurance policy against unlawful arrest or even assassination. Um, but perhaps this isn't necessary. Um, as we all know, there's no way the government would ever harm anyone. It's not like the government or powerful people or even private enterprises kill those who oppose them. And there's no way that a private company would become involved in politics and seek to silence their opponents. So moving on to number nine, uh, the system has to be compact enough and covert enough to be carried and hidden everywhere. Uh, sure, the best radio systems on the market can send a radio message around the world with ease, but good luck backpacking those systems 12 miles into the backcountry with no sleep for three days and little food and water. Uh, also, good luck getting that system into a place like, uh, say, Iran or North Korea. Uh, plus, these systems require absurdly draconian licensing. Uh, in other words, there is zero way to be a ham radio operator anonymously. Uh, the FCC not only requires an absurd amount of information in order to get your license, um, about the same in amount of information that's required to get a passport uh, minus a birth certificate. Uh, but also your call sign is publicly available. So if anyone hears your call sign over the net, uh, they can look you up, find your name, uh, your phone number, and where you sleep at night. And a name, phone number, and address is enough to do all sorts of nefarious stuff nowadays. Uh, plus, in many countries, possessing ham radio technology is actually very highly controlled. Uh, if you get caught with a Baofeng radio in, say, North Korea, you'll probably be shot on sight. Uh, so the system has to be easily concealed, or at least be able to partially function without being detected. Along these same lines, uh, we in the business call this dual use. Uh, a good example of this would be a compact, like travel-sized uh, shortwave radio that has like AM and FM functions on it. You can say that you know if you're traveling anywhere in the world that hey, you like to listen to the radio, but actually that radio is also capable of listening to our informational po uh, broadcasts from around the world. So there are two uses to that sort of system. And this sort of segues nicely into our 10th criteria, which is that the system also needs many clandestine options available so that someone who has no idea what the plan is and has no way to communicate could easily recognize a secure communication method when they stumble across it or when it's presented to them. Uh, this is very hard to explain, but I'll sort of try to illustrate this with a hypothetical scenario. Uh, so imagine you're an S2 Underground member, or at least have heard of us in some way. Um, you're out traveling for work, or out running errands, or, and some event occurs, right? We need a communication system that a person can come across, uh, can visually see, a system that can be airdropped or handed out in a flyer, or even simply be remembered by the user. Clearly this is a very hard concept to explain, but we need a rule of thumb system that can enable someone with zero supplies or training to move to a location, uh, all based on very little cute clues and only using common sense. A sort of close example to this would be the story of Admiral Jeremiah Denton, uh, who was captured by enemy forces during the Vietnam War. Uh, he appeared in one particular propaganda film where he was treated nicely by his captors and stated that he was being well cared for, uh, having a very nice appearance and everything. Uh, however, during this propaganda film, 
Naval Intelligence noticed that his behavior was a bit strange, and he kept blinking an awful lot in an odd fashion. It turns out he was blinking in Morse code. His blinks spelled out the letters T-O-R-T-U-R-E, the word torture. This was the first direct communication that any POW had made with the U.S. government since the start of the war, and it was being communicated while a sadistic and torturous captor was looking directly at the person making the communication. Our system needs to follow this idea, that indescribable feeling inside the intelligence analyst who first noticed that covert communication was taking place. A watchful person should be able to use common sense or even remember a rule of thumb to recognize communication in the first place and potentially decrypt a message or even a whole communication plan. And all of this should be able to be done by an ordinary person and not a team of highly trained intelligence analysts. Moving on to our 11th criteria, our communication system should be easily authenticatable and highly resistant to propaganda efforts. Uh, in the age of disinformation, we cannot risk false information being introduced into the system, nor should the system be able to be hijacked and used to spread propaganda. Uh, in other words, we need to, with minimal effort, create a communications environment that is inherently hostile towards propaganda and disinformation efforts. Uh, number 12, this system, this process, also needs to be easily updatable. But if a person is unable or unwilling to receive the update, old versions also need to function indefinitely as well. Shuffle to Dirian. What is your cargo and destination? Parts and technical crew for the forest moon. Do they have a code clearance? It's an older code, sir, but it checks out. I was about to clear them. So we want old versions to still work and be retained. It's not like we're dealing in classified information. Uh, we're an open source uh, agency, open to anyone who wants to join. And so if someone stumbles upon an old version of our comp plan, it should function reliably. Number 13, uh, ideally, this system needs to be easily replicatable so that if a person has nothing but a piece of paper or a flash drive, they can take that and replicate their own communication system locally without the S2 Underground being involved at all. For example, say that a group of people find our communication system and decide, hey, this is a pretty good idea. Let's call them Group A. Uh, and another group of people on the other side of the world, even speaking a different language, do exactly the same. Let's call them Group B. Uh, the system has to enable Group A to communicate with Group B if they want. It also has to enable Group A to stumble upon Group B and passively recognize hey, these guys are S2 Underground members, um, but at the same time, we need the system to be able to lose the S2 Underground name uh, just in case the U.S. government, or any government really, wants to label our organization as something unsavory. So we want a system that makes this theory possible. And finally, we arrive at our final criteria. Uh, we're not trying to reinvent the wheel here. As we all know, federal and state governments, as well as countless NGOs and aid groups, have created vastly complex emergency communications networks, costing billions of dollars and requiring tens of thousands of highly trained operators. But as countless research studies have discovered, 
even these systems are woefully inadequate. For instance, large-scale research projects have revealed serious flaws in national emergency communications plans in every event from terrorist attacks to hurricanes. Think about it for a second. Uh, communications were always an issue, even when there were no adversaries trying to negatively impact the communications. No external actor was impacting comms after the superstorm Sandy, but the federal government, with its unlimited resources and budget, was laughably incapable of maintaining even the most basic communications in a very small area. Imagine if an external actor was also trying to jam or sabotage communications in addition to the infrastructure impacts of a major storm. In short, we need a system that will work in a disaster, but also if our own government tries to shut us down. Alright, so that's the end of our criteria, so let's go ahead and take a short break and come back with our communications plan. Now, I'm afraid we might have oversold the system quite a bit because, as one might expect, it's not perfect, right? And we'll talk about some of the, the things that are kind of imperfections as we go along. But we can come really, really close to an ideal system. Uh, and the system that we've created is a plan. That's all it is, is a communications plan. Uh, it is a three-page PDF that lays out an extremely detailed system for maintaining communications. Now, before we get into this comm plan, let's address a few common issues that come up when talking about an alternate or emergency comms. Um, a large portion of the prepping community uh, thinks that the holy grail of emergency communications is ham radio. Um, but unfortunately, ham radio has its own downfalls, some of which can't really be circumvented. Um, don't get us wrong, well, all of us here are ham radio operators and have been a part of the ham community for years. Um, and that's the reason that we're able to say that ham radio is not the end-all, be-all savior for communications. Uh, as you see, with ham radio, a lot of cool things can be accomplished. The world of ham radio is very interesting, and with the right skills, tools, and a lot of time, you can quite literally communicate with people around the world forever. But there are quite a few problems with ham radio, at least for us, and a lot of them are deal breakers. Uh, for one, it's not an easy topic to understand. Uh, sure, it may be easy to buy a bow thing and figure out how to use it and talk on it, but when we started getting into technology required to transmit signals around the world to wide audience, things get a little bit out of hand. Um, also, ham radio for the most part requires a license to use, which we are adamantly against. Um, mostly because of the ridiculous amount of information required to get a license in the first place. Um, plus the fact that your call sign is public record, uh, as we mentioned before. Um, we're very security conscious and we don't like giving out our name and address to just anybody that can hear us over the net. 
while we could go on for a while about the cons of ham radio, um, suffice it to say that it's not an end-all, be-all answer. Uh, it is, however, a great option for communicating during a total societal collapse, at least in theory. But when we hear people say something to the effect of, oh, my Facebook page just got shut down, better get out the bow fangs, well, to us this is a little bit off. In other words, we may have many options for everyday comms, uh, social media, cell phones, apps, websites, you name it. And we also have a lot of options for total end-of-the-world type communications, such as radios. But we don't really have an effective middle ground. Um, we need something that can bridge the gap between Facebook and ham radio. And spoiler alert, this is kind of the, the, um, the, the letdown of our communication system. We haven't really found a great way to do this, uh, mostly because the technology doesn't quite exist yet. So we're sort of stuck. Um, when an account gets banned, like either it's a Facebook or Twitter, or a server goes down, we can either jump on another secure source or app, but we, or we have to get off the internet altogether and jump back in time and rely on century-old technology in order to, to communicate with each other on a very rudimentary level. Um, yes, there are a few ways of getting around this, but none of them are perfect. For instance, one company is creating something called the Fallback Device. I think they call it the Fallback Project. This device automatically scans the internet and social media 24-7 for keywords that are indicative of an impending internet shutdown. When it detects that certain social media accounts are shut down, it will download news and information from satellites. The sole purpose of the device is to allow comms and news to flow in nations where government frequently shuts off the internet. Unfortunately, this program is still in the developmental stage, uh, but something like this would effectively bridge that gap bet between being totally online and part of an interconnected society and being thrown back to the enormously inconvenient, um, very slow and limited range of radio technology. Uh, we just wanted to address that because every time we talk about comms, we get a lot of messages that are either, uh, hey, why don't you just use ham radio? Or, hey, don't you just use this app? It's secure. Both are good suggestions for certain scenarios, um, but not exactly what we're looking for. It's, we're looking for a combination, right? There's no one tool that is the end-all, be-all answer. All right, so with that out of the way, uh, let's get down to it and go over our communications plan. Alright, so before we go on, it would probably be a good idea to go ahead and print out or have a digital copy of our comm plan uh, while we go over it because I'm basically just going to go down this comm plan and explain everything. Um, so first of all, we're going to start with the title. It's uh, S2 Underground Comm Card version 2.2. So even though you see that this is Comm Card version 2.2, uh, this is version 1. Uh, you will never see a version of the S2 Underground COM card that does not start with version 2.2. And here's the reason for that. We wanted to have some sort of way to authenticate this document. So for instance, if you come across an S2 Underground COM card that's version, you know, a version before 2.2, like, you know, COM card version 1.8 or something, you'll know that that COM card is fake. Uh, so, when this comes out, uh, you will never see a COM card version before version 2.2. That's very important for us to cover in this podcast because you know our audience is fairly small. 
Um, so, and, and our distribution of this com card will be much further than this podcast. So anyone who seeks to try to um, uh, change this document and then put out a fake version uh, to lead to some kind of you know, nefarious activity will be able to know. And you will also be able to know now that you're listening because uh, this fact that there are no versions before 2.2 uh, is not listed on the com card. Uh, just keep that in mind. Uh, there will be additional ones. We'll you know, go with a one-up number of, you know, if there are minor updates, it'll be 2.3. If it's a big update, it'll, you know, we'll skip to, you know, 3, you know, 3.2 or something like that. So you will never see one before 2.2, though. And that's kind of a way that we had to passively, um, you know, authenticate this document, like I said. Uh, also, before we get into the actual boxes uh, and talk about the actual plan itself, you'll notice that each box has a number in the upper right-hand corner. They're numbered, uh, starting at 1 and going all the way down to the end. So this is actually a way to be able to update this document via communications method and not have to send the whole document. For instance, if you've got a whole version, you know, if somebody says, hey, somebody makes contact with you and says, hey, I've got, you know, Comcars version 2.2, and they say like, look, hey, you know, there's, you know, no burn phone number. Um, how do I call you guys on a burn phone? Because that's all I have. Well, we can say, okay, if you have an actual com card, what is box number two? You know, what is box number ten? And then that way we could say, all right, cool. They've actually got a com card. They've actually got it in their hand, and they're not just somebody who's heard our traffic over the net or over social media and they're just trying to troll us or, at worst, do some kind of nefarious activity. Also, we can say, look, you know, hey, if we're broadcasting this out and we actually resort to broadcasting over um, HF radio, we could say, look, you know, box number eight needs to be updated to this. You know, box number two needs to be updated to this. This prevents us having to transmit the entirety of the document all over again uh, to somebody who wants to make, you know, communications with us. So that's kind of another passive way we've got to just take that little bit of an edge um, and have that little bit of an advantage uh, over all these other communications methods. So let's go over the document itself. Uh, on the very first page, we have the actual communications methods. Um, it, they loosely follow the PACE plan for the military, but as you can see, they're kind of broken out. So the primary method has four comm methods. Well, that's because all four of these comm methods are active right now. Um, you can also see it, it's a very highly colored document, and there is a uh, legend at the bottom to show what the colors mean. Um, on page two, we'll get to that when we get to it. I don't want to spoil it for you because it's kind of an interesting concept we've come over. And page number three has three documents that you can print out. Uh, one, uh, it should be all four by six or three by five, uh, depending on which version goes out. It should have a small compact size com card so that if you have to fold one up and put it in your wallet, uh, you'll at least have something. Whereas you might not be able to you know, fold up a full eight and a half by 11 size sheet of paper. We made it a, a, a compact size as well. Um, we also have that you can print on the reverse side of that instructions on how to make a foxhole radio. And at the bottom, we also have a description card that if you are um, taking advantage of placing uh, caches, you can actually uh, put this card in it, and it kind of explains what the ST Underground project is. Like, we understand. Anytime somebody has a cool name 
or it has something mysterious about it, you know, especially when it comes to sharing information. We don't want people to think that we're you know, an extremist group or that we're somebody like QAnon or something like that. We want people to understand what our mission is and that in the event of a disaster, we can be trusted with you know, information, with tools, with supplies, and things like that. Uh, and so we don't want somebody to come across us and think that we're like a, a, a doomsday prepper or anything like that as well. So we kind of want to, you know, show our mission statement as well. So that's why we have that. So now let's go back to the first page and let's go over each one of these communications methods. Uh, so starting with the primary box, we have number one, which is Discord. Um, now this is the box that will most likely be updated very, very soon. So Discord has made it perfectly clear um, recently that they are in fact a political organization. And as such, they do not um, want to host any differing opinions on their platform, which is perfectly fine. If that's the kind of agency they want to be, then that's you know, more power to them. Uh, however, that does not mean necessarily that we will use their platform and use their services. So, um, the Discord server will most likely change pretty quickly um, depending on how many people get banned. Um, and if one day we wake up and the Discord server is not there, we're not going to be surprised at all. So, uh, that box may um, not be there. Uh, as such, we have created an alternative uh, on the system Keybase. Um, now, many people think that Keybase is a secure system. Um, it's not. I think we've covered that pretty clearly in the past, but uh, suffice it to say that Keybase is not perfect, but it is, since we could sort of mirror the uh, content we were able to, to have uh, from Discord to Keybase, they're, they're a very similar system. Uh, we wanted to jump to that one, and plus Keybase hasn't really given us the vibe, or they haven't posted any messages that make us think that we might get banned from there anytime soon. Now, we may be wrong. Uh, Discord and Keybase may just ban us overnight one day. Who knows? Uh, but in that event, we'll just simply create another one. There are a dime a dozen uh, different messaging apps, and we'll just create a new one. But in the meantime, we have our podcast. So our podcast is paid for by us, um, and it is a paid service, so therefore it should remain online a little bit more than uh, not. Now, that does not mean, however, that our um, sort of web crawler podcasting hosting services like iTunes and Spotify, they may kick us off. Uh, they may not choose to host our podcast. But if you go to the buzzsprout.com address that we have on the com card, uh, that's where we actually host it. So if you go to the source, you should always be able to find it. And uh, if they're going to take us offline, they've got to give us some warning because we've paid for that service. So. Um, that will be used, and this podcast will be used for uh, information sharing pretty much no matter what. Um, and also, lastly, in the primary category, we have the GoTenna device. So now the GoTenna device is one of those um, rare devices where, remember we mentioned the, the problem of bridging the gap between the internet and like a last-ditch radio system. The GoTenna bridges that gap quite nicely in some very rare circumstances. As everyone knows, we're based on the East Coast, uh, but we have a lot of people on the West Coast as well um, that are supporters of us, and that is way out of the range of GoTenna. Um, even if you're, unless you're in the same city as us, and even on the same side of the city, you're probably not going to get us. Um, but we, we will be monitoring all uh, public communications through the GoTenna app, and we will be able to reach through there. So if you call it S2 Underground and someone answers you, that will probably be one of us. Or if it's not S2 
underground organic staff, it's probably a subsidiary that may have popped up that we don't even know about yet. Um, so that's just something to keep in mind is a GoTenant is a nice kind of alternate sort of system, but it's we're, we're still keeping it as a primary source just in case, you know, the internet goes down. Because as you see, you don't want to have a, a primary source in, either, in any one of these categories that you know, it can be simply wiped out. So we didn't want all of our primary comms to be on the internet. We wanted at least to have one grounded sort of middle ground comm method. So moving on to the alternate category, we have, of course, our email. Um, email has been used by us for a while now, and we have two emails. We have s2undergroundactual at gmail.com, and we have s2underground at protonmail.com. Now, pro the protonmail account is a lot more secure than Gmail. And, uh, but the Gmail account we, we check more frequently. Uh, we, so we have it on our uh, burn phones and all that, so we can check our Gmail account several times a day, whereas our ProtonMail account is set up on a laptop and smartphone that is air-gapped, meaning that it is only allowed to communicate with ProtonMail um, and is not connected to any other network. So um, that one, that ProtonMail account, takes a little bit of time to, for us to check. So you can send an email there, but it may take a little bit longer for us to get to you. Um, next up, we have Riot.im. This one is sort of an alternate. Uh, it's very, very similar to Discord and Keybase. Uh, however, it, it, the differences are enough to make us put this one in the alternate category. Now, we may shift things around, and Riot may jump up to occupy the place of Discord or Keybase or something like that, and we'll provide those updates as time goes on. Um, but, yeah, we wanted to uh, have a, a sort of... Thir uh, another internet source on there. Um, now we do have that uh, matrix created, but I don't think you can join it. And if you can join it, you can't post anything. So in the event that you know all of our other internet sources go down, we will you know activate the riot.im. So keep checking back to that just in case. If you haven't heard from us in a couple of days, um, check riot.im, check that matrix, and see if we have activated it. Um, moving right along with more internet comms, we have social media. Yes, the dreaded social media. So we have our, uh, an Instagram account. Of course, everybody knows that was the first account that the S2 Underground project started with. Um, we have since then had to upgrade to us a, um, a secondary account. So we're now, uh, our Instagram handle is now at S2 underscore underground underscore two um, because Instagram did not like our first uh, account. Uh, so we've had to create that one, and, and of course if Instagram bans that one, guess what? We're just going to create a third account, and a fourth account, and a fifth account, and so on. Um, and likewise, uh, we have a Twitter account as well. Uh, the Twitter account, however, is more of a ghost, uh, like, uh, a ghost account, like a shell account. Um, we're not going to post any content to Twitter, but we will maintain that as a source. So if you suddenly start seeing us post on Twitter, that probably means our Instagram account is dead. But yeah, we just wanted to have that alternate source there just in case. Uh, next up, we have something new. We actually have a WordPress website. Um, so you can go to the uh, web address listed there. You have to type it in exactly as it shows up um, or copy and paste it. Um, but yeah, that's our official website. Now, for now, we have this complicated long domain name. Uh, because we did not want to shell out to pay for the uh, pay for a domain name, um, because for whatever reason, WordPress makes it very hard to do so anonymously. So we're going to have to funnel money through our real accounts through a whole bunch of different sources so that it gets cleaned off and can't be tied back to us before we can fund uh, to get that web page up. So that web page that web page may change, 
um, but for now that's the web page that'll be there and on that web page we'll be hosting a lot of files uh, this com card uh, we're gonna have a blog uh, just to, you know just in case um, we have to revert back to our own uh, platform but yeah since we have a website set up now that's just yet another method to keep in touch with us um, moving down from that we also have burn phones um, so we're not going to post the phone numbers to these burn phones we we did when we first started out we, we used to have a burn line set up that was just dedicated to, to the s2 underground project uh, but we after a while noticed that we started getting oh I don't know about a thousand texts a day that were spam so um, we're not saying that any of our dedicated listeners uh, spammed us, but every burn phone we've kind of tied to the S2 Underground project has become very um, a, a big magnet for spam, and we think that it might be due to external actor influence trying to shut us down, but that's just a theory at this point. So, um, if anything, this box, box number 9, will most likely be updated uh, very soon when we um, uh, push those numbers out, when we actually get a good plan going together. Um, next up, we have the SneakerNet slash loudspeaker operations. Now, for those that don't know, the SneakerNet is kind of a colloquial term for the internet without the internet, i.e., uh, you know, handing notes from one person to another, leaving a USB drive in a certain area, um, basically communicating without going through wires, uh, and that will be our method. You know, handing out flyers uh, and brochures, posting, you know, leaving a stack of com cards at a library or something like that. That's part of the sneaker net, essentially. Um, you can look up what the term sneaker net means, but um, that plus loudspeaker operations, we will be conducting those if it comes to that. So moving on down to the contingency plan, we have APRS via JS8 call. Now this is kind of a complex subject. Um, for those of you that already know how to do this, we're going to be broadcasting Simplex on uh, Merge Channel 1, which is 151.82 MHz. Um, yes, that's only going to be line of sight, but that's the only thing we can do anonymously and legally um, in the United States uh, at, at this particular stage. Now we will be pumping out APRS signals as well as old school Morse uh, open plain text communications on a variety of radio signals we'll talk about here in a second. But we just wanted to bring up that hey, if things get really bad, we're going to start breaking out the APRS and start going down that route. Uh, moving on, uh, we have the dead man email system. So this is something we've had for what would you say about about ten years? Yeah, about ten years now. Um, all of us individually have our own sort of dead man email setup. And what this is, is that in the event that we become incapacitated or are arrested or um, some other way, uh, you know, some way not able to conduct operations, um, we have an automated system that will send an email and, well, send slash mail slash drop, you know, broadcast, whatever you want to call it, um, one last automated message that has our... Uh, how you say insurance policy um, also a page on our website uh, will automatically be posted um, with information on what to do should we not check in with the dead man system so in other words even in our absence we can still provide the last little bit of information needed to make contact right and to allow the S2 Underground Project to continue even if all of the core staff here are incapacitated in some way. Um, likewise, along these same lines, we have what we're, what we're calling the archives. 
Now, this is sort of like uh, your apocalyptic kind of um, system of caches, uh, information drops, safe houses, you name it. Um, we have a list of all of these GPS coordinates, and these will automatically be sent uh, via an HF radio beacon uh, that will contain a looping feed of all of our GPS coordinates of you know all these supply caches and whatnot. Um, we'll be broadcasting them on the frequencies that are listed below, but in the event that we become incapacitated um, or something happens, this beacon will automatically trigger and it will, um, you'll have access to everything we have. So yeah, the, these two uh, dead man emails and the uh, archives type system sound a, a little bit scary to think about, but we're trying to, to make sure that this, uh, that our communications plan, you know, survives and the ST Underground project survives even if all of us um, suddenly are not part of that program anymore. Um, we want people to be able to take up the, take up the torch and continue our work in our absence. Um, next up in the contingency uh, category, we have you know, more uh, leaflet drops and megaphone ops uh, slash loudspeaker operations. Uh, just continuing those, um, it, that we have different methods of dispersing them. Um, we do have access to aircraft um, and ground staff will also be able to drop leaflets and provide information on how to uh, communicate uh, with each other in the event of some kind of major disaster. So moving on down to the emergency comms category, we have, of course, um, everybody's what everybody's been waiting for, which is our ham radio frequencies. Um, so you can read uh, this on your own time, but basically I'll go over the ham radio uh, schedule. So roughly we're going to be going by the U.S. military standard, which is to broadcast every hour uh, for three minutes uh, at 20 minutes past the hour. Uh, we'll do this for the first 24 hours of all of the other communications methods failing. After the first 24 hours, uh, we will transmit every six hours, 20 minutes past the hour again, so like uh, 0, 0620, 1220, 1820. Um, and after seven days of this schedule, we will begin broadcasting only at sunrise and sunset for three minutes. Um, this will continue until the radio fails or personnel become uh, incapacitated. Um, at this stage, uh, you know, our other emergency methods like EPIRBs and APRS systems will, of course, go online without us, and they'll begin to um, transmit in our absence. And I'm not going to list all the frequencies here. You can look that up on your own time. But, yeah, we have quite a few different frequencies that work at different times of day and are different bands and, and stuff like that. Um, but it, since we're still talking about radios, um, if you're going to want to be able to detect the vast majority of radio signals there are, you're going to need probably three different radios. One, you're going to need some kind of VHF, UHF radio, such as a Baofeng or something, uh, so radio one. Uh, you're also going to need some kind of shortwave receiver, um, like an AM, FM, uh, single sideband, uh, you know, HF receiver. Um, they're a, a lot more expensive than just your normal AM, FM radio, but they will allow you to receive the majority of the HF radio spectrum, which is how our global comms will be going out. And then thirdly, if you want to maintain a, a little bit, you know, cover a little bit more of the spectrum, you can get yourself a good, decent quality um, hand, uh, a handheld police scanner um, that will be able that will allow you to track a lot of different things, including you know uh, all your public service channels and you know literally thousands and thousands of frequencies that you know these 
uh, the other two radios can't really pick up. So if you want to pick up the majority of our, of not just our comms, but everybody's comms on Earth, you're going to need those three radios. And you can easily buy all three for less than, I don't know, say maybe $250, $300, and you'll literally be set for life. Um, you can buy them where they all run on the same battery, too, which is awesome. So, um, But, yeah, that, that's just how we recommend If you're looking to get into a radio, uh, into the ham radio game, those are the three radios I would start with. I would buy a Baofeng first and figure out how to work it, then buy a shortwave receiver, then buy a police scanner um, if we were pressed to choose because um, we get that question all the time. All right, so now moving on to kind of a, 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 um, a unique part of our uh, communications program, and that is the visual signal. So for those of you in the military who have kind of seen this concept before, uh, don't worry. We're not going to be talking about any uh, classified material that's going to endanger anybody's life, um, but we do have our own version of a visual signal. Now this visual signal is a randomized, it's a symbol that can be easily drawn. Um, it can be easily scratched out on really any surface. You can mark it on a, you can draw it on a VS-17 panel. You can draw it on a door, on a ground, you know, ground to air signal. You could do, you could draw it anywhere, right? Um, also, if you're um, able to make radio contact, you can easily describe it to someone over the radio. And, and this will sort of, you know, when describing it over the radio, this will sort of function as a uh, way to authenticate that you are, in fact, a genuine uh, S-200 ground member and are, in fact, in need of ass uh, assistance. But the other sort of morbid uh, reason for this signal is that this uh, symbol serves as a leaving evidence of presence, or LEP symbol. In other words, if any of the S2 Underground staff see this symbol anywhere, um, everything stops. Uh, everybody stops what they're doing, um, and this symbol, seeing this symbol will trigger all S2 staff um, to the fact that, hey, you were there, and this triggers a search of the surrounding area for everything from supply caches to information to more, si more signals to messages to even things like DNA, right? Um, as such, uh, this is not some kind of super cool symbol of the S2 Ground Project. This is not something that you draw on a notebook. This is not something that you get made into a morale patch. Not at all. Uh, this symbol is something that you memorize and that you can easily draw, um, even if you're injured, um, that will allow us to more easily find you and communicate with you in extreme, extreme circumstances. So. Um, that's all we're going to say about that. Uh, when the time comes, just memorize this symbol and you will know when to use it. Um, trust me, your, your common sense will kick in and you'll know when to use this symbol. So uh, next up we have the concept of dead drops. Now anybody who's um, been a human being knows what a dead drop is by now. And it's, uh, it's kind of an old archaic technology, but guess what? It works. Um, dead drops are a good way to spread information and share information with another party. Um, some even anonymously um, and without being uh, a huge security risk. Um, so we have kind of uh, going along with the rule of thumb slash the common sense type thing uh, where we want people to be able to understand what we're talking about even if they don't know uh, what we're talking about. Um, our rule of thumb for dead drops is that uh, you know during a time of disaster one of the uh, more common things for people to do, uh, no matter where the disaster is. I don't care if it's a tsunami in the South Pacific or a landslide in, you know, uh, Asia or, or, or even an earthquake, you know, on the West Coast. 
um, when there is a large enough disaster happening, there will be message boards put up where people can leave behind notes um, for their loved ones and try to you know, find them or you know, pictures of missing people like, hey, have you seen this person? And they, they pop up everywhere. It's either the government will, will set them up or NGOs or um, something like that. They'll usually be by medical centers. They'll also be by police stations or, or town squares or things like that, prominent uh, points in the community and where most people tend to gather. Now, our rule of thumb is going to be to take this communications plan. Um, we'll, we'll talk about this more in a minute when we get to page two, but this communications plan will allow you to leave it at the message board and uh, write your message on it. And that's where you can link up to find more information. Um, we're just trying to make it a little easier uh, for everybody to sort of link up after a disaster. Um, also, we have two other types of systems, uh, sort of rules of thumb. Uh, the first one is that in the event that this becomes necessary, um, we will begin putting dead drops um, that, uh, of, of information, supplies, uh, locations where you can uh, meet up and um, uh, resources that you can consume. Um, we will place this in a some kind of container or message, even, even like a Ziploc baggie or something, um, underneath, uh, hidden, underneath um, the trailhead sign of the longest hiking trail in every state and national park. And we picked this for a few different reasons. For one, every state and uh, every state has a national park uh, or a state park, and there's a lot of them. And they're spread usually pretty uniformly around the state. They're also pretty remote. So uh, the chances of, of people flocking to a state park during a disaster, like it, such as an earthquake or a hurricane, uh, that's pretty slim. In fact, the park may be even closed. However, there are usually no fences around any national or state park, and almost all of them have hiking trails of some sort, and almost none of them have hiking trails that are exactly the same length. Meaning, you just think about your local state park, or even look it up online and you'll find, hey look, yeah, there is one trail that's longer than all the others. And you'll see, oh look, that's where the trailhead is. Well, guess what? That's where our dead our dead drop will be. We made this so that, like, even if you don't have a map of the state park or the national park beforehand, like, guess what? National parks are great for putting the distances to all the trails, like, right on uh, the trailheads, you know, themselves. So you can be like, oh look, you know, what's the longest trail? You could easily find it, even if you have no other resources but a backpack on. Um, and you can hike and find this particular thing. And it should also be easy to get to via vehicle because it's a trailhead. So, um, and, and therefore it would be easy to service and replace and things like that. So that's, uh, that's one system. Another system for those who are living in a city and can't necessarily get outside of the city. For those urbanites, um, we have uh, drop sites that will be underneath or near the drop box of the post office on Main Street in every U.S. city. So it turns out that Main Street is actually one of the most common street names in the world. Uh, well, at least the United States. Other countries have their version of it, but for the most part, it's the most common street name in the U.S. There's, I think, over 17,000 Main Streets. Um, so if you have a Main Street uh, in your town, uh, we also found that there is also a highly li high likelihood that there will be a, a U.S. post office on Main Street in your town. Um, and if there isn't, there will be one nearby. So, uh, every post office also has outside a drop box for, you know, after hours mail or packages. 
that's where the dead drop will be. Um, it's also highly likely that the U.S. post offices don't really offend anyone, so they're less likely to be part of some civil unrest. They're also federal buildings, so it's unlikely for a state to just simply say the post office is going to shut down, so it'll work for a very long period of time. Uh, also, post offices are generally constructed pretty well, um, so they're not meant to uh, be easily destroyed at all. Even in the time of severe civil unrest, your post office is probably going to survive pretty unscathed. Uh, so we figured out that you know the, the you know dropping dead drops at the trailheads of state parks and on the drop box of post offices and on Main Street, that is uh, the best option for dead drops. It's the most universal, and if nothing else, it's easy to check. Um, it's very easy to do. Uh, that's how we're going to handle the dead drops. Uh, we may come up with more rules of thumb for this, but for now, these two will work. And trust me, US, uh, the, and trust me, uh, S2 Underground staff will definitely be monitoring these sites. So last up on the emergency comms uh, category, we have sat phones and Garmin inReach services. Um, so all of us here have satellite phones and Garmin inReaches that we can use to communicate with one another. Uh, now, in the event that we need to communicate with all of you, or all of you are in you know, distress and need to communicate with us, we will then release the satellite phone numbers via either radio broadcast or one of the other platforms uh, needed. Uh, chances are, if it gets down to the point, and if, something, if some event happens to where we're giving out our satellite phone numbers and therefore our identity uh, to uh, complete and total strangers, uh, things have gotten pretty bad. Uh, same thing with Garmin inReach. Um, they're also, since they're linked to a you know insurance policy, like you can't, we can't have you know anonymous sat phones, and we can't have anonymous Garmin inReaches. Um, but in the event that, that we do have to uh, use these, these will work for a very long time. Even if every electronic on Earth gets zapped by some EMP, guess what? Our satellites will still work. Um, our satellite phone uh, network is meant to function for. 50, 60 years into the future, past the end of their service life. Uh, same thing with our GPS satellites. They're meant to literally stay in place forever. So it's going to be extremely rare that our, our satellite network gets taken out. And since our sat phone network is on a different satellite constellation, the Iridium network, uh, than the Garmin inReach program, which is uh, the messages are, only on, are sent via Iridium, but the GPS coordinates... Uh, the GPS navigation is sent via uh, military GPS satellites. Um, that uh, adds in yet another layer of um, redundancy. So as you can probably guess, redundancy is the name of the game when it comes to this type of system. And then sort of, I uh, forgot to mention, lastly, we do have one kind of topic I want to uh, talk about in the emergency comms, and that is clandestine comms. Um, so we're not... Um, sort of hiding or concealing any secret technology that the government has. We're not the sort of creators or inventors of some kind of awesome and super fantastic comms method. Um, but we do have different comm methods that may be the same as the ones up here, but like frequencies are obscured or you know phone numbers are, are left out. And we need to keep it that way. So we need to have some kind of clandestine comms that will not be revealed until the very last moment, until all of our other communication methods are, have failed. And then we'll reveal how you can communicate with us um, when that's done. So um, we'll sort of leave that topic at that. 
uh, and then go on over to the, uh, the, the chart. So if you'll see there's kind of a legend uh, near the end of the page which shows uh, why these boxes are so vibrantly colored. And it's basically on to do with the availability. So as you can see, some of them are kind of a blend. So for instance, our ham radio um, category is kind of a blend of yellow and red, meaning that, you know, hey, if we use our call sign, that would be, you know, red, because you could figure out, you know, who we are, and other actors who mean to do us harm could figure out where we're located. Uh, but yet, uh, there are anonymous ways to transmit on uh, the radio network. So that's kind of a blend of the both of them. Whereas our sat phone method, that's just a red block because there's no way we can communicate with a sat phone without somebody uh, intercepting us, uh, figuring out our location, our, our identities, and basically, uh, you know, who we are. So um, that method is, you know, something that will not be used unless it's a last resort. So moving on down further on the page, we have a block on how to receive our radio broadcasts. So like I mentioned before, if you have a cheap VHF, UHF radio, um, a shortwave HF radio receiver and you have a police scanner you'll be able to receive all of our radio transmissions. Um, the only thing that I would add is maybe a smartphone, a dedicated smartphone that's you know not on a network. Uh, the, the only thing you have loaded on it are, are things like offline maps and, uh, and, and tools to decode Morse messages because we're thinking that you know, in the event that we have to go shortwave and we have to transmit HF's, you know, radio signals around the world, uh, we're probably going to be doing it via Morse code uh, because it can travel further, it's more universal, and all you need is to download an app on your smartphone that allows you to decode Morse code. So all you have to do is turn on your shortwave radio, turn the volume up, and let uh, the speaker play into your smartphone, and then you know, boom, you've decoded all, you can decode all of our messages. So you don't need to understand Morse code to be able to understand what we're saying. And we, of course, have ways to automatically send Morse code so you're not relying on the human error connection. So um, that would be a good, a good setup to have. Um, and also in this box is kind of a casual reminder to never broadcast a radio signal or make a phone call from your place of residence. Uh, this is kind of basic, like... Uh, uh, nowadays, with the surveillance that's going on in our local area, I hesitate to even make any phone call at all from my house, uh, from where I sleep at night. I, I you know, not making any uh, f phone calls, not making any uh, radio transmissions. I, I go outside, go out in the street, walk up and down the block, uh, do it, you know, do what you got to do. Um, but you know, m maybe that's just us being extremely paranoid. But who knows? It seems to work pretty well. Um, and then moving over to the right, we have a block on personnel recovery procedures. So for those of us and for those of you that have been unfortunate enough to have to go through SEER, uh, this is kind of like a refresher, but this is basically showing people who have never uh, had that experience how to interact with us if we have to come get you. Um, basically, this sort of uh, shows uh, civilian personnel um, the concept of hey you know what to do when when we need to come come pick them up um, things like uh, you know not being in an aggressive posture putting away and securing gear um, not showing any weapons to, to the force things like that because you know we, we don't live in a world where um, we're going to be able to go out and just rescue anybody uh, if the time comes if the time comes where, where s2 underground staff are going out and getting people uh, and bringing into a safe house or something, uh, we're going to need a way to authenticate because, as we all know, the most important 
person in a rescue type situation is the rescuer. Um, the victim, uh, unfortunately, or, or the patient is going to have to uh, deal with, you know, rescuer safety because that's always uh, paramount. So we have a sort of paragraph that kind of explains all of that. Um, and then on the bottom we have just kind of a, a very random collection of different ways you can, you know, communicate in a true survival situation with really anybody. And kind of a reminder that, hey, you know, S-200 ground staff will always respond to traditional, you know, emergency distress calls. Um, we have things in there like, hey, look, if you're going to pop a smoke grenade or something uh, as a distress signal, we're going to uh, also respond one as well, you know, so, and, and it's going to be an orange smoke. So uh, this kind of um, shows that, hey, if you end up popping smoke and you see somebody in the distance popped an orange smoke, hey, that's probably an S-200 ground staff, uh, staff member. So that's uh, just something to keep in mind. Uh, all of that's pretty self-explanatory. It's also just a reminder that thermal signals are a, a thing and you know, MRE heaters, if you, you know, charge them up and, and uh, uh, start them up, they look just like a road flare underneath uh, thermal uh, night scopes and uh, thermal uh, sensors. So uh, same thing with a space blanket. If you take a space blanket and lay it out on the ground, um, it's going to reflect the sky, so it's going to be like a square of just pitch black, dark, cold uh, matter. And if you're standing next to it, you're going to have a very hot object standing next to a very cold object. And that's going to bring out the contrast and allow uh, some, you know, allow us to see you uh, from a much further way off. Um, so these are just little little tips and tricks for how to, you know, communicate with not just us, but really anybody in a true, really, uh, really bad survival situation. All right, so moving on to the second page. This is kind of a unique page um, that we have set up. We haven't really seen anybody do. Uh, so let me explain. So you'll see uh, three different camouflage patterns, a multicam, uh, you know, standard multicam, multicam arid, and then multicam um, alpine. And basically what this is, is you'll see on the left side of the page a, a the universal ground, the visual signal. And on the right side of the page, you'll see S2 Underground Dead Drop Cache uh, written in text in block letters. So the idea is that you should print this document front back, and you should uh, be able to fold it up and fold it so that it's into a tiny little camouflage square with on one side the visual signal, on the other side S2 Underground Dead Drop Cache, um, that text showing. So in this event, you should be able to fold it up and camouflage this document so that you could literally uh, hide it anywhere but still make it overt enough for a rescuer or us to find it. And then for that, if you scroll down to the bottom right hand quadrant, you'll see, you'll see the, um, on the opposite side of the Alpine uh, multicam, there is a, a text box for a personal comm plan. Now this kind of goes back to what we mentioned earlier when it comes to leaving messages on like a, a missing persons board or, or someplace public. We wanted to have this space so that you could take this comm plan out of your pocket, write your own personal message to your loved one or a coworker or a friend or whoever, and fold it up in such a way that if they were to look at it and see it on a message board, they could easily see, oh, look, that's this to underground visual signal that's my piece of paper and you're able to quickly from a distance go up grab it really quickly and then get your message um, we thought about leaving this uh, section blank the personal comm plan and just have it like a, a blank piece of paper you could write on but we found that in times of duress we often forget 
uh, certain crucial steps and for you know crucial information that we should be writing down. Um, for instance, like all of us who have had to deal with nine line medevacs, um, we all have the nine line medevac um, procedures memorized, like what each line means. We've got that you know memorized like the back of our hand, but we all still carry nine line cards just in case. Plus, you know, we carry that just in case we run across a person who's untrained and may need to call one in, right? Uh, that's what the, that's why we left that. You know, you might forget to sign your name to it. You might forget to put in a challenge code or a word to authenticate, you know, to make sure you're okay. Remember, uh, you know, a while back we talked about sort of family passwords, about how, like, if you've got small kids, you know, tell them, uh, you know, the family password. And that way if somebody tries to pick you up or says that they know, you know, mommy or daddy, um, that... You could say, well, your kid could ask, okay, well, what's the password? And if they answer incorrectly, well, guess what? You're not going, you know, that kid, you know, needs to do what they need to do to get away from that person because that person's trying to do them harm. So uh, this kind of goes along the same lines. You know, you could put your, you know, your challenge code or your family password there on that piece of paper that shows that you did, in fact, write that piece of paper, uh, that, that message. So, yeah, and if you also forget to say, oh, by the way, this message was left at XYZ location, well then, you know, how would the person receiving the message know what the context is? Like this message could have been from, you know, a long time ago or it could have been placed in a different location. Or maybe there's a dead drop nearby that uh, is, you know, the clues are gone now because the message is, has been moved from its original site. You see what I'm saying? Um, so that's kind of why we had that laid out. And we think it's kind of unique and um, hopefully it'll be pretty helpful. And then finally on the last page, I know we kind of mentioned this before, but it's basically three different documents. First document is a compact size com card, like I said, that you could fold up, put in your wallet or your purse or something. Um, the next one over is a, uh, a foxhole radio instructions, and, th and that's for like a, an absolute worst case scenario. But uh, foxhole radios were actually used, uh, they were used by... Um, prisoners of war in POW camps where they literally had barely enough food to go around, but they were somehow able to scrap together enough, uh, you know, parts, a pencil, a shaving razor, enough to make an actual working radio. So, um, uh, you know, do with it what you will. We thought that we needed to take up the space somehow, and we figured that would be a worthwhile effort considering that um, all of us here, like, hey, if we get in prison somewhere um, where, you know, we're unjustly imprisoned or taken captive in some way and we have the time guess what we're gonna the very first thing we're gonna do is start building a foxhole radio we thought that the instructions and a little picture there would be helpful for people and then also like I said uh, like, you, like I mentioned earlier uh, we also have a, a cash description card so understandably we've talked a lot about a lot of scary things today uh, we've talked a lot about uh, this comm plan which if a normal person were to just stumble upon this, if a normal person were to find this comm card, you know, underneath their windshield wiper, you know, when they come back to their car, uh, this is kind of a scary thing to talk about. It's a scary thing for most people to think about. So we wanted to make sure that people understood that we're not really, you know, we're not an extremist group, we're not a social movement. We are a unique entity, and we're not going to take sides when it comes to an emergency situation. So. Um, hopefully this document will sort of explain who we are, what we are, and uh, why they found that particular message. Hopefully this sort of helps. Um, I understand this complaint is, is kind of complex, and it's taken, <laughs> taken us kind of a long time to explain every little bit about it, but, but hopefully this, this will help, so, at least, even if it only helps one person, we think it's worth it. 
Um, we're definitely going to use it. Um, we're definitely going to update it um, pretty soon. And if you have any suggestions or additions or subtractions or you know, um, or, or or anything to add, a, a bit of technology that maybe we forgot, um, please please contact us, and we'll uh, we'll see if it if it fits within our needs. Um, remember, we're not just creating a, a system that allows us to communicate with you or you to communicate with us. We want a system that will allow human beings to communicate with other human beings regardless of any external actor's uh, influence, be it a private company or even the government. Um, so hopefully this, this document will, will encourage more unity of a preparedness nature and uh, be a good thing uh, for the world. So. Uh, I know we kind of talked it up a bit, but this is kind of our plan, and uh, yeah, like I said, hope, hopefully it helps somebody, because uh, we've spent a long time trying to develop it. But yeah, that's all we really have for today, so uh, one final word, if you like the content that we cover in these podcasts and would like to support us, uh, please check out our store on Teespring. Um, we have, as some of you may have noticed, we've kind of shut down our Patreon uh, page because we don't really like, we decided we don't like getting money for doing nothing. So uh, we created a Teespring store, so at least if you're trying, if you want to contribute to us, you get something in return as well. So um, we've got all kinds of merch products there from the S2 Underground that you can use to show your support. And if you're like us and you work for an agency that does not approve of uh, the S2 Underground project, uh, we also have some low visibility products as well that don't have our logo on it at all um, that you can buy as well. So, um, and a special shout out to those who have bought our stuff before. Uh, last month, we actually made enough money to pay for our podcast bandwidth and hosting service for one month. So, a big thank you to all the supporters. You guys and gals are the real MVPs, and we really do appreciate all of your support. Um, and especially thank you to all of our guys and gals out there on Discord and Keybase. Uh, you guys rock. Keep on keeping on. And with that, we will see you next time. Uh, and as always, you guys know it. Fight in the shade. It's to actual out.